tonight will be uh, just just as a, you know, I want to do this again. So when I say he is risen, I want you to say he is risen indeed. Okay? So he is risen. Oh, that's so good. Like we should do that every week or something. I don't know. Uh, it's just so good to remember that Jesus Christ is, in fact, alive. Right? That, that's what we do every Sunday. We gather together week after week to celebrate that Jesus came back from the dead. And, and this is important for us. It is a day for us to remember that in particular, but it is something that we do week after week because it is worth remembering over and over and over again. So if you would, turn your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15. Uh, by the way, if you do not have a copy of God's Word of the Bible and you would like one, we would love to give you one as a gift. So on your way out here, there's a bookshelf uh, right in the foyer to my left, and there's uh, Bibles there that are, are intended for you to have. So if, if you don't have one of your own, uh, consider that a gift, and we would love for you to, again, be able to enjoy that day after day. Um, last week, we were in the book of Colossians, and uh, even in our time together in our Good Friday service, we were reminded, both as we sang and as we spoke about the truth, that the cross is our victory. See, in, in short, the cross is our victory because in his death, Jesus took on the punishment because of due us, because of our sin. So, so the cross is actually where our, our victory is found in his death. But today, we are confident that what Jesus accomplished on the cross was real and was true because the, he came back to life on the third day. You see, we can, we can see that it actually worked. It actually accomplished what we hoped it would. So as believers, then, we want to live our lives through or in such victory, not as one wandering or floundering in our sin, not as ones that have been defeated, but instead ones who have conquered because he has conquered. We need to be living in victory, wearing the, the crown of a champion, proclaiming the victory provided to us. Those of you, some of those of you who are here today have not accepted this victory, this crown. So I want, want to ask you, I want to invite you, in fact, to, to listen carefully. You'll have the opportunity today to receive this guaranteed victory over your life now and over the life to come. So I recently heard this quote. So one lady said, if Jesus had not resurrected, we would never have heard of him. And at first, I, I kind of, I didn't know how I felt about that. Certainly we would have heard of this great teacher, this, this man. But she was specifically referring to the crucifixion. You see, the purpose of the crucifixion, of someone dying on the cross, was to eradicate that person and everything about them. In fact, it was, it was as if that act was like to dehumanize them. It was so grotesque, so intense, so, so vile, that when, when someone would look up at the cross and see that 
person. It was almost though they would, they would more just assume that it was just a thing. Surely that couldn't be a person hanging on the cross like that. Surely that's not actually a human there. In, in fact, there were hundreds, surely. Uh, in fact, we have record of hundreds of crucifixions that took place before Jesus. But there are none, none before Jesus that we know their names. So catch that. Jesus is the first named person that we have in records of history, the first one that we have their name. Everyone else, it's like they just fade into oblivion. Not even a human, not even a person, not even a name. In fact, think about the, the two other men on the cross next to him. We don't know their names. We, we think like thief one and thief two. Criminal one, criminal two. We, we don't know their names. We know the name of Jesus. We know the name of Jesus because Jesus conquered the grave. He, he defeated death. He came back to life. So I hope today to point you to the truth so that we can all properly celebrate. You see, some of you will, I guess many of you maybe, will uh, gather with family in just a, a little while to have a special lunch. I'm a, I'm a preacher's kid, and so growing up, actually, uh, we didn't get together with family. It was just like, I mean, it was just another Sunday. Uh, I mean, we ate good food and stuff, but it wasn't like special food, special family time, all those kind of things like many of you will have today. Uh, I'm, I'm thankful that we have extra family living around that we get to do that with today, but, but we, don't, we don't gather for that lunch or even we certainly don't gather for this time except for the fact that Jesus rose from the grave. So, so I want to help point you, even as you think about going into this good lunch with good family and get to go to grandma's house or wherever you're going, I want you to think that the reason you get to do that is because Jesus conquered the grave. Like that's the reason for this whole celebration. It's not about pastel colors and eggs. Nobody understands why eggs are in this at all, okay? But, but like it, this, this is about something so much more than that. You see, it is true that Christ died and yet rose again. So I want you to hear what, how Paul says that, explains this, beginning in, in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 15. Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received, in which you stand, and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the Scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the Twelve. Then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of whom are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James and then to the apostles. And last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared also to me, says Paul. I hope you noticed there that, that as Paul's task, what he's trying to do is prove, demonstrate that Jesus actually died and rose again. So he's, he's trying to say it's true, Jesus Christ. Jesus, the promised one, he died and he came back to life. So how do we see that? Well, first, he points out that there were prophecies beforehand. 
These aren't just predictions, right? Predictions may or may not happen. Prophecies happen. They're, they're for sure. So you think about this. There were prophecies beforehand. This is why it says in verses 3 and 4, accordance with the scriptures, that he would die for our sins in accordance with the scriptures, that he was buried and raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This was planned. This was expected, in fact. Isaiah writes of this. Isaiah, the prophet, right? He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised. We esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten, afflicted. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was laid the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed. He was afflicted. Yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like sheep that before its shears is silent. So he opened not his mouth. Right? This is hundreds of years earlier. And, and Isaiah is writing it as though it is in past tense. Because it's so sure to happen. In the Psalms, you have Psalm 22. When it's as though uh, from the mouth of Jesus, looking ahead, and he says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads at me. I'm poured out like water, he says. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It's melted within my breast. My strength is dried up like a pot shirt, and my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. Right? It's as though Jesus was saying those very words. Then, in fact, Jesus does speak of this. He prophesies his own death and resurrection. In the book of Mark, he says uh, that he and the disciples, they were going from, from there and passed through Galilee. And he did not want anyone to know because he was teaching the disciples. So here's what he says. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men, and they will kill him. And when he is killed, after three days, he will rise. He's like speaking in third person. And Jesus says, I, I'm going to be delivered up. I'm going to be captured, essentially. I'm going to be killed, and then, after three days, I'm going to arise. He tells them. And, and isn't it interesting that, that even with that, the disciples are still like, what's he talking about? I mean, surely he's not going to die. That's not how this works. I mean, it, it's, like, it's like they're not even paying attention to the fact of what Jesus just said to them. I think sometimes we're like that, aren't we? We come into a service like this, and we just let things kind of go in ear, one ear and out the other. I mean, okay, I get it. you got to tell us that Jesus rose from the grave, blah, blah, blah. Maybe that's how we, we come into this day. I'm here because I have to be. I had to dress up. I had to do the thing. No, see, there were, there were prophecies beforehand. But in, in Paul's desire to, to demonstrate or to prove that it happened, he wants to remind us that there were witnesses afterward. See, like this actually happened. What was prophesied actually came true. This is why, why in verse 5 he says, he appeared 
to Cephas and then to the 12. He appeared to more than 500 brothers at a time. He appeared to James and all the apostles. He appeared to me. Paul says, he appeared to me. Think about this, like he, Cephas is Peter, right? So he, he shows himself to Peter. He appeared to the 12. We also know that, that even within that, there's, there's more uh, women that were around. There's women that were even there on that first day. This one that's super significant for us is when it says he appeared to over 500 at one time. See, that at one time, it, it's like it uh, removes any doubt. If, if someone says, I saw this, and it's just them by themselves, I saw Jesus, well, it doesn't mean it didn't happen. It just it, it remains uh, like, I think, uh, maybe you were just having uh, it was just a figment of your imagination. Or, or maybe you were hallucinating, right? But certainly there have been times in history where lots of people gathered together were hallucinating for a variety of reasons. But, but in this case, no, well, let me say this. In those cases, in no time is this hallucination all see the same thing at the same time. You see different things. You're, you're, you're imagining different things. The figment of your imagination is not the same as someone else's figment of their imagination. No. So this disproves disillusionment. It disproves hallucination. This is saying that Jesus really was there. All those people saw Jesus alive. And it wasn't just a ghost, right? They actually touched him. Someone would put their hands in where the scars were. And guess what? This is all true whether you believe it or not. It's, it's true whether I believe it or not. You know, like you can, you can say all you want, like, oh, well, I have to believe it for it to be true. Well, guess what? You don't have to believe that gravity is real. You're not floating. Right? I mean, like, think, like you, can, you can decide in and of yourself what it is you want to believe, but that doesn't make it true or not. But I want you to hear this. I'm pleading for you. We must believe, actually, that Christ died and yet rose again. And you said, I thought you just said you didn't have to believe it for it to be true. I understand what I just said. I'm just telling you, we really, really need, like, we must. In fact, one day you will believe. Because every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. The question is not whether or not it will happen. It's just will it be too late. You must believe that Christ died and yet rose again. So I want you to have this truth. Not simply to just hear it, go in one ear, out the other, but actually believe it. See, salvation comes from standing in truth. Again, still in these first couple verses, I want to remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and which you stand and by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you unless you believed in vain. But you received this. This is you actually hearing the truth of the gospel. I, I do strive to week after week make sure that we get back, that we get to the reality of the gift of the gospel every week. But, but maybe you're not here every week, so I want to do it once again. You see, there is one true God, only one God. And this God is the creator of 
all things, everything in the universe. He's created all of nature from the mountains and hills and valleys and rivers and streams and oceans to grass and trees and in my yard, it's weeds, right? He's created all of that. He's designed all of that and he created all of the animals, all of the creatures, all of the birds of the heavens and the fish of the sea. He's created it all and he's created you made in his image. All of your intricacies, all of the details about you, he's made you. And this God, this one God who's creator of all of that is holy. Set apart in his perfection, right, good, never doing wrong, never thinking wrong, never believing wrong. He is always right, perfect in all of his ways, just in all of his acts. And we are not, right? We, we have sinned against him. And sin is anything that dishonors God, anything that we think, do, say, uh, Anything at all that displeases God, that dishonors Him, that goes against His command. We are, because of that, then punished by separating ourselves from Him, right? We can't be in the presence of perfection in this way. And so, this, this separation is eternal separation. Death, right? It's, it's a forever death. God wants relationship with us, wants us in his presence, so he made a way. He sent his son, Jesus, who lived on earth, lived a perfect life that we could not live, and then he died the death that we deserve to die. And he died on the cross, as we've said. But to demonstrate that that, that actual worked, he conquered the grave. He came back to life. And scripture tells us that if we would repent, so repent to turn away from, if we would turn away from our sin and our self and our stuff, the way that we think we should do things, if we would turn away and trust in Jesus, the one who did die on the cross, if we would trust in him, we'll be saved. We'll be saved from that separation. We'll be saved from that everlasting death called hell. And, and so here's what I want you to see that you just received the gospel. You just heard the good news that there is a way for you to not have to spend everlasting life apart from God. Eternity. But, but here's what happens. Paul says, this is the, what I preach to you, which you received, in which you stand. You see, the gospel is kind of like a gift. And it is a gift. But, but sometimes when you receive it, you, like, you, don't actually, if you don't actually open it, then, then how good is it to receive that gift? Someone just puts a, a wrapped gift in your hands and then you, you do nothing with it? You didn't really receive it, right? You didn't really use it. So Paul takes that next step and says to stand. Now it's time for you to actually open that gift, re- receive this gift of salvation. Interestingly enough, that word stand can be defined as standing to wait or rest. We don't often equate waiting with resting, right? I mean, you stand in the line at Disney World with a toddler, 
And I bet waiting doesn't feel very restful, right? Right? When, like, that, that's part of how that goes. In fact, on a, on a much more significant level, waiting waiting for whatever it is in life that you're waiting for, waiting for that promotion at work, waiting for that raise, waiting to graduate, waiting to get uh, married, waiting to have a baby, waiting, waiting, waiting. None of that really feels much like resting, does it? We're just striving and trying. What this is reminding us is that, that we can be confident in our salvation so that we can simply stand resting in Christ's all-sufficient work on the cross. And we don't have to keep working at it. It's different when we wait in rest. This, this gift of the gospel. He goes on to say, you, which, with which you were being saved, Yes, salvation is a one-time act by God, but it is also an ongoing work of Christ in you. You become more and more and more looking like Christ until the day of glory when we get glorified bodies and we are made new, made whole in Him. And so here's, here's what, where he finishes that off, right? So we're going to... The gospel I preached to you, which, was I re, which, which you received and which you stand and which you are being saved... You hold fast. This is, this is clinging to. Maybe you simply came here today and you were just hoping. What well, felt like hoping against all hope, right? That you would just get a word of encouragement. That you just might get some kind of boost today. I, I hope you're finding it. I hope you've heard it in the songs we've been singing. I hope you're hearing it in the word because here's, here's what I want you to see. Hold on to Jesus and his gospel. When your marriage is crumbling, hold on to Jesus. When your boss is unkind or your children are crazy or your teacher is hard, or your doctor report is bad, hold on to Jesus. Hold fast. This means that you turn away from all that is false in the world. It means that you accept what is true to never turn back again, never let go. And guess what? Even when you, you feel like your grip is fading and you, you can't hold on any longer, he never lets go. There's nothing in this world or in any other world, there's nothing that can separate you, dear child, uh, from the love of Christ Jesus. Neither height, nor depth, nor angels, nor principalities, nor rulers, nor authorities, no one. Neither height, nor nothing, nothing can separate you from the love of God in Christ Jesus. So, so hold fast, but know that he is holding you. You see, in this we, we see that hope comes from faith in Christ. Go to, go to verse 12. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how could some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. 
we are even found to be misrepresenting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you're still in your sins. Then those who also who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. See, there seemed to be like some kind of argument about whether or not after death, if there was anything after that. Like, is there an afterlife? Is there actually a heaven? Is there going to be some resurrection from the dead, so to speak? And, and Paul is answering that by saying, if there's no resurrection from the dead, if there's nothing after this life to look forward to, then one, Christ actually didn't raise from the dead, and we just went through a whole process demonstrating that he did, in fact, raise from the dead. We proved that. And, if, and also, if he did not, then we, we are the most to be pitied. We are wasting our life. Because you see, we don't live. Maybe you've missed this, but we don't live for this life. We're living for life to come. We're living for what is next. We're living for something greater than now. And thank God, something's better than now. Because I don't care how good you think you've got it right now, it's not that great. Right? And, and, and no matter, but here's the good news, however bad it really is for you, there's something better. This is, this is hope. Believing in something that's coming to be better. Christ is alive, so we have no reason to be pitied. Now, right, this, this truth that Christ died and yet rose again, it is something we must believe. But I want you to hear one more reality. There is victory for Christ died and yet rose again. There is victory in this truth. 1 Corinthians uh, 15 still, but go to, go to verse 50. Right, we've been highlighting this verse 57, but I, I wanted to start a little earlier. Paul writes, I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. This mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. There's victory. There is victory over death. You know, 
death, death stings when it is the death of someone who does not know Jesus. Now, now death always hurts those of us who are left, and we rightfully grieve and are sad that our, our loved one is no longer with us. But, but there, is, there is victory over death. For those who are in Christ Jesus, there is no more sting. To be, to be standing at a funeral for someone who is uh, not in Christ feels like sting is not enough of a, of a word. It's like such an inner pain, a, a grief and a sorrow that cannot be explained because it's it. You know, I talked to a pastor friend who, just the other day, who's preached five funerals in 14 days stood by grave after grave after grave. But today, he was preaching yet again, preaching a sermon of victory. And in every one of those, by God's grace, every one of those are, are ones who have followed Christ. They're believers. So he is able to proclaim that there's victory over death. I, I've, I've stood in this place and preached funerals been at funeral homes and gravesides and been able to say that there is victory over death. Oftentimes I read from John 14. Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself, that where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? And Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You see, He's got a plan. He, and, and, and you may be one of those who thinks like, where is heaven actually? Like I'm trying to figure out where that is. I, don't, I certainly don't know the way to get there. And maybe you're like Thomas in that. And here's what Jesus says. If you know me, you know enough. I'm the way. I'm the truth. I'm the life. This is what Jesus is. is he's offering this to you. Turn away from your sin. Trust in Jesus who is the way. Who is? He offers this to you. There's victory over death. You don't have to worry about death, fret about death, fear about when that may come. Because it will provide for you entrance into eternity with Christ. There's victory over death, but there's also victory over sin. Right? Just after, right? That verse we've been reading, thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So he says, so what do we do now? Because we've got this victory, therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. What, what is he saying there? Obey. Be obedient. We, we need to be reminded that Jesus has conquered the sin in your life. Whatever that might be. Sin of pride, selfishness, 
sin of worry and doubt and fear. Whatever that, whatever that sin is in your life, you, you need to know that Jesus has conquered that sin. So you don't have to keep going back to it. You don't, you don't have, like, you feel, you may feel like, oh, you just, I, I got to keep going back to that thing. No, you don't. You say, well, I'm, I'm human. Okay, Jesus conquered your human sin. This is what we need to be reminded of. That he has done this work for us. You know, maybe in, in this victory, this is something for you to realize. You did not earn that victory. You, you can't earn it. Uh, I heard even recently there's a, a preacher named Alistair Begg. And he's kind of has this one pretty famous uh, little talk he gives about the, the thief on the cross. And it's this, this picture where uh, the thief on the cross, who, who Jesus says to him, today you'll be with me in paradise. And so you imagine this thief on the cross goes to the pearly gates, right? And he goes and the angel's like, hey, uh, why are you here? And he's like, I don't really know. He said, well, what did you do to, to get here? He's like, I'm not exactly sure. He says, well, let me see if I can ask some, some other questions of you. See, he's like, do you, do you, can you explain the uh, like l- limited atonement? Could you explain to me uh, the Trinity? And he's like, no. I don't even know what you're talking about. And, and the, you can just imagine that the angel says to him, well, why, why, why should I let you in? He says, I don't know. But the guy in the middle cross said I could come in. You see, it's not a work that you've done. It's that the guy on the middle cross did all the work for you. So this victory over death comes because Jesus conquered death. This victory over sin comes not because you're better or work harder, but it came because there's Jesus conquered your sin. So live in obedience to him. If you've never repented and believed, turned away from your sin and yourself and your stuff, your efforts, your trying, and right now, right where you sit, trust in Jesus. Repent and believe. Maybe it is that this is, seems like a lot for you. You think, I just showed up today because it's Easter and it's just kind of the thing I'm supposed to do, but, but I'm, I'm sensing something. And maybe, maybe you have more questions. In just a minute, we're going to stand and sing a song. And when we do, I want to invite you just to kind of step into the aisle and just come right over here. And right here, there's going to be some people standing here that uh, you just take their hand and say, I've got questions. Take their hand and say, I want to trust in Jesus. Take their hand and say, I, I want to believe. And they're going to they're gonna pray with you. They're going to try to answer those questions, go to the Word. I'll be in the back. You can grab my hand. Don't leave today without trusting in the one who is, who is the way for you. We're going to sing this song 
Maybe your response today is simply to sing it. To, to sing the words. In fact, there's one part that says, uh, for all that you've done and for all you will do, we say thank you, Lord. Maybe that's your response today. is to say thank you for the victory you've given to me. So as we respond, follow the Lord's lead. Stand with me as we respond.